My oh my, are you lucky? Four award-winning QuackCast releases on one day. This is the 74th QuackCast, and it's called Gullible George. I get the occasional email. Very little hate mail, unfortunately, since hate mail is more often than not amusing. I read what little mail I receive and usually do not respond, mostly because I do not have the time. I am a slow writer and a slower typist, and there are just so many hours in the day. And the older you get, let me tell you, the shorter those hours become. Recently, over at the center of the growing Mark Chrislip multimedia empire, I had the following in the feedback section. Quote, just thought you'd like to know. My kids watch the PBS show Curious George, which usually does a good job with introductory physics, astronomy, scientific method. Interspersed with the cartoons, they have scenes with real children that do a real-life parallel investigation of what happened on Curious George. Today's episode involved the man with the yellow hat catching a cold and Curious George going to the pharmacy and picking up various drugs to assist in making the guy feel better, mainly to have him sleep and be comfortable. The interspersed skit, however, had the children visit a naturopath where they learned oregano cures infections. Various pressure points correspond to energy lines, and that taping magnets to those points is really effective. I sat here simply amazed, end quote. Me? I'm not so amazed. Alternative medicine has always been a blind spot for PBS. While PBS would not show perpetual motion machines or suggest that astrology is legitimate or give credence to a flat earth, alternative medicine, as it is for many otherwise thoughtful people, is exempt from even cursory critical thinking. PBS is broadcast doctors Chopra and North, so its track record on science-based medicine is not so good. My children are long past the Curious George part of their lives, but I read them those books when they were kids. Not my favorite. I like the Madeline books better. She was six weeks in hospital with an acute appendix, and that never failed to amuse me. They didn't have managed care in Paris in the 30s. But the Curious George books were a quick read when the kids wanted a story at bedtime, and I was too tired for a longer exposition. Now, George couldn't go to a naturopath, could he? Well, he is curious, and he does have a brain about the fifth the size of that of a human, so that is a potentially bad combination. And is his first name Curious? It's always capitalized, so... Perhaps I should call him Mr. George, although I can find no information on the proper honorifics for an ape. Perhaps Mr. Speaker? Or Governor Perry? Nah, I don't think those will work. Anyway, the episode is called Monkey Fever, and the episode summary ends with, quote, live action segment. The kids visit Dr. Shiva Barton, a naturopathic doctor and learn about alternative healing therapies. The doctor shows them pressure points on their bodies, good thing he's not a priest, and the importance of staying healthy and eating right, end quote. Sounds mostly innocuous, the staying healthy and eating right is a good idea. I went looking on the interwebs for a tor- I mean, 
a YouTube video. Yeah, that's the ticket, YouTube. But none were available. So I plunked down $2.99 on iTunes and got to watch Curious George. The transcript of the show is also available online. And I have to wonder at the whole interwebs where someone took the time to transcribe a whole show about an animated curious monkey. The first thing you notice when you watch the show, it is not the real Curious George. Just like the current Doctor Who, not the real Doctor Who. They should try and recreate the style of the original, but that is just the crabby old fart in me. Let's see what the show has to offer. The first 15 minutes of the episode are something concerning chickens. I was hopeful that George would get bird flu or salmonella or campylobacter or something interesting, but no such luck. So the first half of the show is of no interest whatsoever. The second half starts with a cartoon where the man with the yellow hat, or a very bad case of jaundice, has a cold. I keep wanting to call him the man in the yellow hat. He's the man with the yellow hat. And I'm sure I will screw up consistently on this podcast. He, as a white-coated scientist, says to the man with the yellow hat, It doesn't take a scientist to see you caught a cold. True enough, and they set the scene for the rest of the program. They definitely avoided scientists and science when researching large parts of the episode. Most of the show concerns George's escapades, unrelated to education. When George answers the phone, George is mistaken for the man with the yellow hat who has taken to bed with a cold. Mistaken identity is a classic source of humor, and people with colds often sound like apes, so it is a plausible scenario. The white-coated scientists finish by telling George slash man with the yellow hat, quote, drink lots of water and fruit juice. It will help you beat a cold, end quote. The man with the yellow hat agrees, saying, Drinking lots of fluid will help cure a cold. Really? Now, fluid has no impact on the course of a cold, homeopathic claims notwithstanding, although it is important not to get dehydrated with your fevers. Yes, I know. People get volume short. Food is dehydrated. But dehydration is a common complication, especially in the elderly and the very young, if they are not careful when they have a fever. Of course, no recommendation, however much it is part of common lore, is immune from the meta-analysis. And fluids for respiratory tract infections are no exception. Quote, We found no randomized controlled trials comparing increased and restricted fluid regimens in patients with respiratory infections. Two prospective prevalence studies reported hyponatremia rates at 31 and 45% for children with moderate to severe pneumonia. None of these children showed any clinical signs of dehydration. Symptoms associated with hyponatremia, which is low sodium, were not reported, but four children with a serum sodium below 125 died during one study. Why they let them get below 125 boggles the mind. We also found several case series in which patients with respiratory infections developed hyponatremia, of which some were symptomatic. The patients were all successfully treated with fluid restriction. Quote, 
we found data to suggest that giving increased fluids to patients with respiratory infections may cause harm. To date, there are no randomized controlled trials to provide definitive evidence, and those need to be done. Until we have this evidence, we should be cautious about universally recommending increased fluids to patients, especially those with infections of the lower respiratory tract. And the ever-popular Cochrane reviews, and they're not popular with me, said, quote, there is currently no evidence from RCTs for or against the recommendation to increase fluids in acute respiratory infections. The implications for fluid management of acute respiratory infections in the outpatient or primary care setting have not been studied in randomized clinical trials to date. Some non-experimental observational studies report that increasing fluid intake in acute respiratory infections of the lower respiratory tract may cause harm. That's as close as you get. None of these evaluations are specifically concerning colds. Nor do fruit juices affect the course of a cold. Although there is no harm in both the fluids and the nutrition provided by the fruit juice, and it may be better if there's sodium and sugar in your fluids rather than just straight water. If one were inclined, one could argue it is vitamin C in the fruit juices that are a benefit, but I have been less than convinced by the antiviral, anti-cold efficacy of vitamin C. And perhaps the lack of research in the area is hampered by fear of patent infringement, since there's a patent out there as to how to determine if someone is responding to a cold remedy. I guess you can patent damn near anything. Then, after watching a soap opera, George tries to get the man with the yellow hat better faster by turning the apartment into a faux hospital. More hilarity ensues as the room is turned into an ersatz hospital by George. Unlike my hospital, George does not seem to understand the importance of hand hygiene and fails to wash his hands. Perhaps the one important message you could give the demographic that watches Curious George, young children, and their parents. Later, when George is again mistaken as the man with the yellow hat on the phone, these are not the sharpest white-coated scientists in the drawer, the white-coated scientists tell George to, quote, feed a cold and starve a fever. The scientists must be from the University of Old Wives' Tales. The origin of this advice, feed a cold and starve a fever, is, as best I can be determined, related to the, quote, ancient belief that cold symptoms were caused by a drop in bodily temperature and that stoking your internal furnace with fuel would restore health, unquote. Now, there is no clinical data or basic physiologic principles to support the concept of feeding a cold or starving a fever. Now, medical hypotheses, which always has an answer, I like medical hypotheses, they have some pretty wild-ass articles, and they're fun to read, but you should not take them too seriously. They are noted hypotheses. But they speculate that the feeding a cold alters the TH2-TH1 ratio that prevents feeding-induced neurohormonal and vagal output from the gut to improve the response to colds. I don't know if that's true and that not eating alters that to improve your response to fevers. I think it's probably 
a just-so story. To explain why people do get a decreased appetite when ill with an infection. My just-so story as to why patients get anorexic and have diarrhea with fevers is that through most of history, much of our illness came from eating and drinking contaminated food and water, and nausea and anorexia prevented us from consuming more of the bad material, and the diarrhea helped us expel the bad material. I like my explanation better, but then I would. Otherwise, there is little, if any, data to support the popular approach to colds and fever of starving one and feeding the other. Later, the man with the yellow hat notes, quote, Normal temperature is 98.6, so I have a very slight fever at 99.2 degrees, end quote. This is so wrong. Did not the writers of this episode even do minimal research onto what the concept of a fever is? I can and have pontificated for hours on temperature. 98.6 is not the normal or average temperature and is the result of measurement errors in the 19th century by Wunderlich. Modern temperature measurements in normal people are slightly less or perhaps humans are cooling as the earth warms. Not worms. It's not earthworms, but earth warms. And more importantly, temperature varies over a 24-hour period. You are lowest in the morning, highest in the afternoon. Dr. Makoviak's article in JAMA was published a decade or so before the Curious George episode. The conclusion, 37 degrees centigrade, 98.6, should be abandoned as a concept relevant to clinical thermometry. 37.2, which is 98.9 in the early morning and 99.9 in the afternoon, should be regarded as the upper limit of normal temperature in healthy adults 40 years or younger. Also, they noticed that the mean temperature is actually... 98.2, not 98.6. Now, if you have mercury thermometers, you're well aware that that red line at 98.6 is the line in the sand. And if your kid's temperature goes above the red line, they get to stay home. And if it stays below it, they have to go to school. But the man in the yellow hat does not have a fever and does not need starvation, although George proceeds to take all of his food. That George. George, like many Ultimed providers, apparently accepts everything he hears at face value. Feed a cold, starve a fever? Okay. More fluids? Okay. Now, he's a monkey with a little brain, I know. But you'd think that the writers of the episode weren't. And they would have at least done some basic research. <sighs> Maybe George is a metaphor for a naturopath. Huh. He's playing it, Doctor with none of the understanding or real tools available to a physician. Eh, I am probably giving the producers of the program too much credit. Then there is more humor as George is led to believe that the cold symptoms of the man in, with the yellow hat really mean he is soon to have kittens. I don't think this is any more unbelievable than water helps cure a cold, or that the place for medical advice is a naturopath. 
Now the video on iTunes did not include a live action sequence. And the videos have been taken down on the interwebs due to copyright issues. But the transcript lives on. As in the live action sequence, the children go visit the ND. ND stands for not a doctor. Evidently, they had the children do it because even a small-brained ape knows better than to go to a naturopath. Curious or not? And here's the transcript. As is often the case, it is not what is said that is important, but what is not said. But really, what kind of critical thinking can you expect in a minute and a half? None. So instead of offering rational advice, they offer propaganda and nonsense. Go PBS. Today we are visiting Dr. Shiva Barton. He is a naturopathic doctor. Barton, instead of using medicines, we use natural therapies. Yes, instead of effective therapies, they use worthless nonsense. Girl, naturopathy is another way to help you feel better. Yeah, right. Like homeopathy and acupuncture and avoiding vaccines. Not the road to wellness I would suggest. Barton, see if you guys can tell me what this is. It smells like rosemary or something. Very good. It's close to that. It's oregano. Oregano is a spice you find in spaghetti sauce and pizza. Oregano seems to be helpful in fighting germs. There's a nice little weasel word, seems. Really? Well, I searched the PubMeds and found 11 references, a few of which show that the extracts of various herbs have, in the test tube, some effects on bacteria. This should be no surprise since plants have evolved mechanisms to resist being consumed by microorganisms. And oregano is not the only herb with this characteristic. Other herbs, which when boiled and their water put on bacteria that have activity against H. pylori, include columbo weed, long pepper, parsley tarragon, nutmeg, yellowberry nightshade, thread stem carpet weed, sage, and cinnamon. And they found antibacterial extracts, also killed H. pylori, included turmeric, cumin, ginger, chili, borage, black caraway, oregano, and licorice. Hmm. The clinical relevance of this is non-existent and probably unimportant. I bet you could get the same effect from my favorite natural yeast metabolite, alcohol. He showed us a chart of pressure points on our body. Again, good thing he's not a priest, which are non-existent, of course. And he also had them drink unicorn tears. Barton. So this is the pressure point if you have a tummy ache or for seasickness. And you can just rub that. It apparently is the abdomen that he's pointing to. And everybody knows that the correct point for seasickness is P6 on the wrist. They can't even get their nonsense correct on this show. Sometimes it helps. And sometimes it doesn't. Can you say confirmation bias? I thought you could. But time is insufficient to note the difficulties with anecdotes about anecdotes. Girl, he showed us little bandages with magnets on the back of them. He put them on a pressure point on our forehead. Barton, that pressure point is helpful for people who need to relax.
Now, useless magnets on a non-existent pressure point. How much nonsense can they cram into a minute and a half? It must be a record, even for PBS. And I have, after all, watched the Dr. North specials, and I know how much nonsense PBS can cram into a short period of time. Quote, Nico was so calm he fell asleep. Naturopathic doctors help people to stay well. That's called prevention. We should eat right, exercise, sleep well, and have fun. It's called bait and switch, kids. Put the reasonable together with the nonsense, and if you are not careful, you will forget to differentiate the good from the bad from the ugly. Barton. A good choice when you go to the ice cream shop is to get a fruit smoothie because it has lots of good things in it to keep you healthy. That evil chocolate malt, the root of all evil. If nothing else, naturopaths are spoil sports. Boys and girls, when you go to the ice cream shop, get a chocolate malted. Life's too short not to enjoy a good shake. I realize the purpose of TV programs is to get people to watch TV. I have the discussion at home every time, usually as part of the yearly fundraising drive, when PBS puts on some sort of medical nonsense to raise money. I have family members who actually think PBS should have some sort of standard, that they should have a commitment to scientific truth. I disagree. It's TV. Their only commitment is to having viewers. That a kid show like Curious George promotes rank nonsense, well, I expect nothing less from PBS. If that is what they want to produce and promote, that's their privileges. But I quit spending PBS my money years ago. The best I can do is vote with my checkbook. And for a parent who is paying attention, the show does represent an opportunity to teach your children a little bit about critical thinking. Fortunately, as best I can tell from my kids, they never learned a single thing from the shows they watched on PBS as a children. But Pokemon? That's a different matter. If Pikachu had been given an oregano-containing magnet on a pressure point, I would have been upset. But the children are older now. Their favorite show is currently Breaking Bad, so I will have bigger worries about alternative cold treatments if I start to see pseudofedrin boxes in the trash. And that ends the 74th Quackcast, the award-winning Quackcast. Not the other Quackcast, which is a comic book Quackcast. So when you go online to write a great review of the Quackcast, make sure when you're on iTunes that you get the right Quackcast, my Quackcast. Otherwise, go to moremark.squarespace.com for the growing Mark Chrislip multimedia empire. Otherwise, I'll see you next time for Quackcast. It occurred to me as I finished this up, and I don't want to go back and make the correction, that I inferred from the dialogue that the pressure point for seasickness was on the tummy. And perhaps he did indeed point to the wrist pressure point, which is the non-existent nausea point for acupuncture slash acupressure. I inferred something that it occurs to me in all good faith may have been incorrect, since I have not seen the actual video. But otherwise, I think the Quackcast is mostly spot on. See you next time. Bye.